very grateful to Pastor Danny for the opportunity to herald God's Word and for sharing uh, this pulpit, this lectern with me this morning. I get the privilege of kicking off um, a three-week series on the gift of forgiveness. Pastor Jeffrey next week and Pastor Danny um, on Christmas. You know, the greatest gift um, that we can receive, regardless of who you are, online, in the room, the greatest gift you can receive is forgiveness. And the greatest gift I believe that we can give in turn is forgiveness. And the reason that we need forgiveness is because there are offenses. There are offenses around us like I have never seen before. If you don't believe that, get on social media and just look. And the friends that haven't defriended you already for stating a fact or stating something that's truth or sharing your opinion, we're just not entitled to that because of this offense. There's offense all around us. People get offended over the craziest things. We all need to receive the gift of forgiveness. We all need to give the gift of, of forgiveness. So don't tune this out this morning. Don't tune this out if you don't recognize unforgiveness in your heart right now. That would be a mistake. Because I believe that God wants to speak to everyone in this space. We all have need to hear about forgiveness and to be, this has challenged me this week. My goodness, this has been a hard week. Um, you know, I have um, seen all kinds of offenses and just scratched my head over my 20 years or so in ministry. I'm 44 years old. I've been in the church 44 years and nine months. So I grew up in the church and I have seen people get upset, bitter, mad, just straight livid over some crazy things. How do we deal with offenses? Um, I think of a college student when I was a college pastor who got offended at me one time because I called her to check up on her to see how she was doing. And she happened to be in a play and the phone rang in the play and she was mad at me. She called me after the play and she let me have it. And I'm sitting there scratching my head. What did I do? That wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. She called a meeting. Monday morning, I get a, an email and she wants to meet and she was some kind of fired up and she met with me and just wore me up one side and down the other because I called her in a play. And um, people get offended and upset over ridiculous things at, at times. Some people um, are offended over legitimate accidents. Um, I, I've offended in my last two churches, I offended a couple of rows of the choir because of baptism, um, got a little hectic, a little splash action and sprinkled two rows of the back of the choir and they, were not, they, they weren't happy about it. Uh, they, they were ups, a couple of them ups, severely upset about it. Um, people can get offended over absurd and, and really selfish, selfish things. Much of what I learned about forgiveness um, comes through my own mistakes. If you've not been offended, then get married. Um, you will work on your forgiveness. You will work on 
dealing with bitterness and dealing with offenses. And then to put a cherry on top of it, go ahead and have some teenagers, have some kids, and you will learn a whole nother level, parents, y'all feel me? This way means yes. You will learn a whole nother level of, of, of forgiveness and dealing with true love because love, God's love, unleashes us to forgive. And that's what I want us to see this morning and take away. He unleashes us to forgive. Um, when I was in fifth grade, I was the only boy in my class. I was in a room with 15 girls. Yes, thank you. Don't laugh, it is not funny. Still to this day, it was hard. Um, they taught me much about offense and about forgiveness. Um, those girls could hate each other one moment and be absolutely wanting to kill each other. And the next moment, give them a cause and they would come together. They would unify. And often that cause was me. And they would turn their attention towards me. And when they would come together, it was on. And I learned, um, I learned <laughs> trial and error. I'll never forget um, one of those fifth grade girls telling me what, she, what part of my anatomy she was gonna kick on the playground. And I learned not to say, go ahead. Um, because that was the day that I got beat up um, by Danielle. Danielle, if you're watching this morning, God bless you. Um, we made it right years later. I've forgiven you, but I've still not forgotten. So today we are going to look at biblical forgiveness and discern what true forgiveness is. And I wanna encourage you this morning to not drink the poison of unforgiveness. Just don't do it. It's a poison. It's a terrible thing that we don't need. It's sin. Unforgiveness is sin. And we're, we're going to see that in God's word. So sin was not always around. So I feel like we need to back up and go to the beginning. In the beginning, the Bible informs us that God created everything. God spoke into a void and he created from his voice everything we see today. He breathed into man, Adam, life. His breath into Adam gave him life. Adam was perfect. Adam, there was no sin for Adam. God made woman, Adam and Eve, the first parents, and they were perfect, flawless, no sin. God had one rule, and some of you know the story. God said in Genesis, um, chapter two and verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, verse, verse 16, 17, you shall not eat for the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Adam and Eve, of course, ate of that tree. Adam blamed it on his wife, but death came. This curse came on man. Sin entered the scene in all creation because man broke God's law. Sin built this separator, this barrier between God and man. God created us for fellowship, for unity with him, but God cannot commune with sin and amongst this terrible thing. And so God sent prophets. He sent Moses uh, to try to bridge that gap. He implemented a sacrificial system, blood sacrifice 
for forgiveness of sin. Man could not obey. Man continued to break God's law and God's word. These offense was there. This separation was there. Sin there. And it's here today. But God in his love, he loves us so much. John three sixteen says, God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son. Sent him to die that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus, 100% God, man, born of no man, um, of a virgin birth, conceived of the Holy Spirit, walked earth 33 days, but he came to do one thing. He came to be the final sacrifice for us. And when we place our faith and trust in him, God establishes relationship. And that is the greatest gift. That's the most phenomenal thing. I cannot get over it that Jesus came down because we could not go up. We could not meet those standards. God in his love met us right there. He came to die. What a gift. Jesus had every reason to be offended. Every reason. Man was awful to Jesus. All kinds of wrongs. They tried to trick Jesus. They rumored lies about Jesus. They hired people to try to betray Jesus. Jesus was falsely accused. He was arrested. Jesus was beaten, spat on, and they drove a crown of thorns on his head, stripped him of his clothes, and nailed him to a cross in between two criminals. A criminal's death, crucifixion, hanging there, love. Jesus nails through his feet, had to push up so he could breathe. Do you get that image? Every right in those wrongs to be offended. And yet the Bible tells us something amazing. Um, Isaiah 53, seven prophesied of it um, hundreds of years before it happened. Isaiah said he, he was oppressed, he was afflicted. This is Jesus, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like sheep, that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus was silent. Jesus was quiet on the cross. And all of those disgrace and all of the wrongs, Jesus did not speak. But I wanna draw your attention to his words when he did speak. Jesus' first words on the cross, don't you think they should be most significant? He's been quiet and he speaks. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, spoke from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus had forgiveness on his heart. His love unleashed him. His love pushed him to forgiveness. What a story. What a beautiful picture of love unleashed, un unleashed on us to bring us forgiveness. That is the gospel. That's the story. He died, that, that tomb did not hold him. He rose as he said he would. This is why I believe him. My faith is rooted and grounded in fact. It's not some weird science or some sort of um, imagination or, or the, the faith that my father inflicted on me. It's not that. It's the fact that it, he was, he is, and he is to come. I believe that. And I've banked my life on it. And if you haven't this morning, I urge you, I plead with you, 
receive that gift. Let's pray. And I, before we dive into our text, I want us just to ask the Lord to speak to our heart this morning and that he would take what is on these pages and that I would say what he wants us to hear. And so let's, um, let's pray. Father, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your place as role as our teacher, our guide, our helper. You're an advocate and in, in, uh, an intercessor between us and the Father, according to Romans 8, 26. You're our admonisher. Holy Spirit, you're, you're the source of truth and the source of wisdom. And I ask you this morning, um, as you are here in this place, to take your rightful place in each and every heart. In this time that you would be the catalyst as we surrender every aspect of our lives, as we respond to you and to your word, would you be pleased? In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 30, it'll be on the screens. Matthew 22, 34 through 30. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a few things in just a moment to write down. So if you'll grab your pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, or your device. Um, you're not going to bother me. I can't see any of you anyway. So um, if you're online, grab something to jot down. I'm going to give you a few things I want you to write down. Matthew 22, verse 34. One of them, a lawyer, this guy is supposed to be an expert in the law. It's interesting he asked him a question. I'm trying to trick him. It says he asked him, a question to test him. Now he's asking a question about the law. He's referencing Exodus 20. And he says, teacher, verse 36, teacher or rabbi, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord. You shall agape the Lord, curios, with some of your heart. What? That's not what it says? You're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. That's everything. This is the great, and this is the first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus, God in the flesh, spoke to this lawyer, to this man, and in essence, he summarized um, what his expectations are of his people. It's true today. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. It's a one-two punch. When I love God, I will love people. You know, love is an interesting word. And here, this, this word agape is packed full. But in Exodus 20, uh, the, the, he, he, it says that you shall have no other gods before me. In Exodus 20, the word ahav, if, if you speak Hebrew, that's probably not how to pronounce it, but it, it's the, the word used for love has a big, massive tie to loyalty. And this just doesn't carry in our, in our description, our English word love. You know, I love Chick-fil-A. I, I love football, right? I love Jesus. Not the same, right? Ahav, the, the agape, these loves are massive. They're so big, they're so massive. But the word in Hebrew is it, loyalty is a big thing, this allegiance. But agape is the word Jesus uses right here. Um, and he also uses another word there that's not found in, 
Exodus 20, is the word kurios. He says the kurios, master, whereas he is called Elohim and he's called the covenant God um, in, um, in Exodus 20. But master, if he is our master, if we're to love our master, then don't you think if he's the master, then we are his subjects? Don't you think if he's saying we're to love him, then we become his, his slaves? His, we're, there's an obedience connection there that, that we cannot miss. So we are going to read through some descriptions and I want you guys to help me. If you're online, um, help me. You can speak it out. You can yell it out, read it with me. It's gonna be on the screen. But first, um, Corinthians 13, four through eight. And here's what we're gonna do. When you see a descriptor of love, I just want you to call it out. So it's gonna kind of be loud and crazy. That's okay. Because what I want us to do is I want us to engage this text. And so I'm gonna give you a definition of that word um, when you call it out. And so they'll be, they'll be easy. I think most of them, there's a couple of them will be hard to pull out, but um, I have the answer key, so um, it'll be fine. So when I say love is patient, as soon as I say patient, some of you caught on fast, you're just gonna, you're gonna yell out patient and then I'm gonna give you a definition. Ready? 1 Corinthians 13, four. Love is patient. This word patient is even tempered while enduring trying circumstances and kind. It's warm hearted, considerate, gentle, sympathetic. Love does not envy, that's a little harder. So it's not envious. It does not desire others' advantages. Love does not boast, right? Not boastful, does not exhibit self-importance. Love is not arrogant, not arrogant, not haughty or conceived as being puffed up. Verse five. Love, it says, or rude. It's not rude. It does not behave dishonorable, but is accepted and, and, and loves according to accepted uh, standards. This one's difficult right here because it does not insist on its own way, which means it's not self-absorbed. Love does not reach for personal desires, I believe is what that means. Going on, love is not irritable, all right? It is not stirred up emotionally to act negatively. Um, love is not resentful, not resentful. Not, it does not exhibit morally objectionable behavior. Verse six, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. You guys are doing well. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings. It does not celebrate wrongs, does not keep a tally of wrong things. But what does it do? It rejoices with the truth. It feels happiness and joy in what is upright. Love bears all things, meaning it endures the pleasant as well as the unpleasant. Love believes all things. It puts trust in something. It hopes in all things, uh, expects and wishes. It endures all things. This is important as well. It endures, it, it, it withstands and stands in courage. In verse eight, love 
never ends. It's eternal. Love is something we will take with us. It never ends. It never fails. It wins. It does not suffer defeat. As for all prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Agape love. These these 16 descriptions are things that we we will show and we will do as we love. And if we love like that, it forces us to forgive. We cannot hold bitterness and we cannot drink that poison of unforgiveness. Um, I Googled the phrase, the person you love. And you know what came up? I put in, you know, if you put in the box, the person you love on Google, it's gonna try to figure you out and write and fill it in with what is most searched, right? And when I put in the person you love, here's what came up, hurts you the most. You realize that? There's a reason for that. Why does the person that we love hurt us the most? Um, I think that we are hurt the most because we have higher expectations of the person that we love. We expect standards out of them. And often those are standards that we don't, we don't even wanna be observed in us. You know, if I'm on the road, if, if you don't have offenses in your life, then get out here on 183, um, you will find some. I have expectations of the people beside me. I expect them to stay in their lane, bro, stay in your lane. And if they don't, there's, there's gonna, there can be a collision. There, there can be an offense. It can be costly. They can have to pay for that. I expect them to do certain things. And we expect so much out of people we love. And so we either have to really work on forgiveness as Christians, or we have to do that and lower our expectations. And I think it's both. I think we should expect people to be in a process of being conformed um, either to the image of his son as a Christian or to the image they are in a process of God drawing them um, hopefully to salvation. In her book, um, Unconditional Love and Forgiveness, Edith Stauffer presents an explanation of what forgiveness is, and it's a lengthy one, so hear me out. Forgiveness. She says, and I quote, forgiveness can take place only within ourselves since we are the ones whose expectations, demands, or conditions are not being met. To forgive means to cancel. What needs to be canceled? She answers it. Cancel the mental or emotional demands which, have, uh, decide, which we have decided must be honored in order for us to give love. Cancel the mental or emotional demands which we have decided must be honored in order for us to give love. Canceling is not a pardon, she goes on to say. It's not a pardon that wipes out or restores the wrong of another. Canceling is neither forgiving Uh, nor the inability to remember a wrong committed. This would be impractical as we must remember the situation in order to protect ourselves in the future. However, this is very important. We must not remember the act to use it against another. We must remember it only to learn from it. 
I wanna give you 10 facts on forgiveness. These will be on the screen if you wanna jot these down. Number one, the person who chooses to forgive benefits more than the offender. The person who chooses to forgive, the one doing the forgiving, they benefit from the forgiveness. Why? Because forgiveness is a command. Obeying that command that God set in place for us to forgive one another, even as Christ has forgiven us, that is obedience and it unleashes blessing on our life. Pastor Danny gave me uh, this book, gifted this book, Lisa Turkhurst, and I wanna, I wanna encourage you, if you have not read this book, to grab it. It's probably one of the most complete works that I've ever read on forgiveness. It's raw, unfiltered. Um, she, she comes at it from a point of really, really encouraging point to be able to see and, and she lets us in our world, in her world, to see how she's wrestled with, with forgiveness. Lisa said this, and I quote, the point of forgiveness is to keep your heart swept clean. Cooperating with God's command to forgive and keeping yourself in a position to, to be able to receive God's forgiveness, that's strong. The point of forgiveness is to keep our heart swept clean, cooperating with God's command to forgive and keeping yourself in a position to be able to receive God's forgiveness. The person who chooses to forgive benefits more than the offender. Number two, one may forgive and still not forget. This is super important because there's a myth out there that if you forgive, you know, grandpa told us, if you forgive, you're gonna forget. Well, that's not true. You may remember every day, I hope you don't, you may remember every day for the rest of your life. That that may be be the way you deal with it. And the fact is, is we are going to remember, but we need to run it right back to the foot of the cross and leave it right there because Jesus died for it. And if we continue to carry it, it's not gonna take us where he wants us to go. It's a poison. Unforgiveness is poison. One may forgive and still not forget. Number three, the act of forgiveness does not render the offender innocent, nor does it make him guilty. Um, You could be innocent. I was talking to a parent who their kid is offended because they're putting good social media parameters on their life and their kid is not happy about it. He's offended. Well, guess what? You got to deal with that offense as well. Um, Although the parent is right, they have every right and obligation to protect their child. It's a good parent. Put social media parameters on on this internet space out there that's so dangerous. There are all kinds of of offenses out there. Um, Forgiveness never exonerates someone. I think we need to see that. Lisa Turkhurst said, forgiveness releases our need for retaliation, not our need for boundaries. Forgiveness doesn't let the other person off the hook. It actually places them in God's hands. What a word. The act of forgiveness does not render the offender innocent. Number four, forgiveness is rarely a one-time event. Again, if it's done right, you may have to do it over and over again. Um, There are trauma triggers through life, things that'll just throw that, and I call them emotional ambush. You're going through life and something sparks it and it's back in your head, immediately run it to the cross. Step up to Calvary's cross and lay it right there and run. Um, don't, don't, don't get bitter, get better. Forgiveness is rarely a one-time event. Number five, 
One must forgive even when the offender does not repent. I have to forgive the person that hurts me that doesn't say sorry or doesn't come back to me. I don't need to go to them necessarily, um, necessarily, if they, especially if they haven't repented. Um, that's a, a long story. But um, I have to forgive. I have to start that, that process of forgiving. Jesus did it. Uh, Romans 5, 8, God uh, demonstrates or God shows us his love for us in that while we were sinners, he died for us. Some versions put that word demonstrate as past tense and it says God demonstrated and that is incorrect. That's a present active verb. Um, his love is ongoing, never fails. It never ends, right? Jesus did this on the cross for us. He forgave. And that love that he gave us, that love that he calls us to, unleashes us uh, to forgive as well. One must, not, not, one must forgive even when the offender does not repent. Number six, one should forgive even if they don't feel like it. Well, I just don't feel like forgiving. Well, guess what? You've got to forgive anyway, whether you feel like it or not. In his book, Dr. David Stoops uh, says, it begins with the decision, forgiveness begins with the decision that we are going to forgive, followed by the process of forgiving. Um, it includes grieving what was lost. And finally, the third stage where we finalize the forgiveness. Dr. Kyle Miller, um, I tried my best to condense his quote because it, it was a long quote. Some of you know him and know his quote could take many minutes, but Dr. Kyle Miller says, the cause of our forgiveness is our own lack of repentance from our sin. Since a holy God chose to forgive us and has commanded us to forgive others, it is a sin for us to hold unforgiveness against someone. He goes on to say, at the deepest and most specific level, the sin of unforgiveness is often based on our own unrepentance. The unrepented person must do something with this emotion of guilt from a violated conscience. The only other outlet of pressure is to internally or externally judge, criticize, and not forgive the offender. And we can't do that. One should forgive even if they don't feel like it. Number seven, repressing uh, memories of an offense does not remove the necessity for forgiveness. Time is a healer, but just ignoring it is not healing. It will turn to hurt and that hurt will turn to hate if it's not um, confronted. Larry Ellis says in his book on forgiveness, forgiving others is not some disciplined repression, but a change of heart. It is a change in the way we see harmful events and harmful people. Repressing memories of an offense does not remove the necessity for forgiveness. Number eight, one may truly forgive and still have hurt feelings. You can forgive someone and you will. And that hurt will rise and you have to do what with it? What do you have to do? Sedate it, drink it away. That's the world's answer. Throw some pills on it, 
Um, forgiveness is a nasty thing. Uh, unforgiveness is a nasty thing. And it has to be dealt with. Um, Lisa Turkhurst says, forgiveness is both a decision and a process. B- both. A decision and a process. You make the decision to forgive the facts of what happened, but you also must walk along through the process of forgiveness for the impact these facts have made on you. I wanted to bring my bow and arrow, but I knew most of you would be scared if I did that. Um, And show you, there's a process to shooting an arrow. If I shoot an arrow, it's not just, I shot an arrow. To shoot an arrow, you, um, and I'm not an expert, James will probably send me an email and let me know what I, what I did wrong, because I don't know the stance, James, sorry. James knows, he, he's real good at this. My bow and arrow has lots of dust on it. Uh, <laughs> but um, if you take, you have to take your bow, I'm, I'm right-handed, so I would take my bow in my left hand, right? Do we agree on that? The bow has to have a tight string And so I grab my arrow with my right hand. I place the arrow in the string, connect it, lay it into the bow. And then I point at my target, not at people. And I raise it to my eyesight and pull the bowstring back really tight towards my face or towards my chin, my eye, so I can aim. And then I aim and I get it right on the target. And then what do I have to do? I have to let go and that arrow takes off and it flies. I've got to stand right. There's a way to stand. There's a way to breathe, even not breathe. If you're shooting long, you want to take a deep breath and hold it. There's all kinds of tips. Forgiveness is like that too. So don't refuse forgiveness because you don't know the whole process. The first process is being willing and saying, I will, I accept it. I will take on this responsibility that God has put on me to forgive. One may truly forgive and still have hurt feelings. Number nine, forgiveness does not mean the relationship is restored. Forgiveness does not mean the relationship is restored. That relationship may be, it may never be the same. It may not be reestablished. Some relationships don't need to be reestablished. This is tough, this is hard, but Authentic forgiveness never exonerates the offender. It never means they're evil, their sin was right. And this is something we really need to know because I've heard this a lot. I don't wanna forgive them because what they did was wrong. Yes, what they did was wrong, but we have to forgive for ourselves um, because of what God has done for us. Larry Ellis said, um, forgiveness does not mean necessarily that you must trust in the next promise of that person, but it does mean that you will make every effort to kill every dimension of resentment. You kill every wish to humiliate that person, to hurt that person, or to pay that person back. Why? because vengeance is the Lord's. It doesn't belong to us. You know what belongs to us? If you're a Christian, what belongs to us? The gift of forgiveness. And God says, give it away. Um, There's a great theologian, Elsa. Some of you have seen her movie. (laughs) Elsa, let it go. I just had to, because I know class of 2014, some of you are here. 
and that was your movie. Let it go, let it go, um, right? Pardoning that offense. If you're taking notes, you might wanna write this down. It's a definition I really love. Forgiveness is a voluntary process. It's voluntary. You cannot make someone forgive. You have to choose it. It's a voluntary process by which a victim lets go of negative spite. Forgiveness is a voluntary process by which a victim lets go of negative spite and wishes no ill towards the offender. This is forgiveness. Paul spoke of it in Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How did God in Christ forgive us? Paid in full to Telestai. It is finished. He hung on the cross and one of his last words was it's finished and he gave up the ghost. He gave up his life. He handed over his life to death. No one murdered him. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have fought it and every adversary would have fallen. He's all powerful, creator. He can do whatever he wants to do. But yet he said, paid in full. I love this term because what he was saying on the cross, he was addressing Daniel's sin. And he was saying, you're forgiven. And when I trusted in him, I actuated that forgiveness. When I believed in him as my God, as my Lord and Savior, I took that cup of grace and I drank it. My faith actually was like the cup. The grace is in the cup because it's all him. I don't have anything to do with salvation other than letting go of sin and self and letting God save me. And that's what he did. And he's forgiven me. And so I must reciprocate. I must release that forgiveness on others. Nelson Mandela um, said this as he was freed from prison. And I quote, he said, as I walked to my freedom, I knew that if I did not leave bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Those bars of forgiveness, but forgiveness, oh, does it bring freedom? Does it release us? I don't know who said this quote, but it sticks, it stuck with me over the years. It's on the screen, but unforgiveness is a poison that we drink expecting someone else to die. Unforgiveness is a poison that I say, I'm, I'm gonna get him back. I'm gonna show him. And then we drink the poison and we expect it to hurt him. But who does it hurt? Who does unforgiveness hurt? It, it hurts us. Don't drink the poison. Don't continue in that cycle. And I know, and I, I hesitate to say, but I know there's some, there's some offenses in the room. You're hurt. You're rightfully hurt. And you haven't spoken to her in 20 years. You hadn't reached out to him in 10 years. First step is to deal with it in your heart before the Lord and let the Lord lead you. Once he releases you, once he, once he makes that right, and it's a, it's a scary thing to think that... Um, 
God, he says in, um, I actually skipped a couple of verses I wanna read. Matthew 18, I'm sorry about that, guys. Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and said, how many times am I supposed to forgive that dude that offended me? Seven times? And Jesus said, Lord, or he said, Lord, how often do I forget? I'm gonna read it. Matthew 18, 21. How often do I forgive my brother who sins against me and I forgive him? I messed that up. Then Peter, let's start over, ready? Y'all get it this time, okay. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Wow. Jesus was in essence saying forgiveness is unlimited because I think that was just for that day or just for that one offense. Forgiveness is unlimited. The reason for unforgiveness or the reason for forgiveness is obedience. That's the primary reason is just to be obedient. Secondly, um, forgiveness brings personal freedom peace. It unleashes us from the chains and um, benefits us tremendously. Um, and so we must, we must let it go. Unforgiveness is a poison. We drink. Don't, don't drink it. Don't drink it. Pour it out. Pour it out at the foot of the cross. Newsweek did a study. Um, Lewis and Adler did it titled, Forgive and Let Live. Listen to this. Newsweek magazine, page 52. It revealed that the more these uh, senior adults forgave in their, in their early in their lives, I'm gonna read it. It revealed that the more these adults forgave early on in their lives, the better their physical health was in their older age. Forgiveness benefits a person physically. It's proven, a study. One way is through the reduction of stress. So length of life, reduction of stress, because stress kills us and it's a sin in and of itself. When we choose, the study goes on to say, when we choose to not uh, forgive, we end up with a potent mixture of bitterness, anger, hostility, hatred, and resentment. That's Newsweek magazine. How about that? I want to close with a story um, of forgiveness. Years ago, I um, was, well, I was a bivocational pastor, ran a construction and development company and was a student pastor. And I had a couple of employees who were hardworking dudes. Um, they liked to drink a lot. Um, and I um, shared the gospel with them several times and tried to give them hope, um, but they went to other places for it. Mike was his name and Nathan. Mike and Nathan were working, trying to complete a house one night to get it ready for a closing. And um, this closing was coming up. And so they stayed late, worked late and finished up their part of the job. And on their way home, um, they pulled into uh, a liquor store and, and, and purchased some liquid backbone and, and started drinking and driving. Mike had um, several DUIs, I believe at least two um, in his record. 
And they probably smoked something. I don't know. I think they did. Nathan is riding shotgun with Mike in the truck. Mike has his seat belt on, on. Nathan doesn't. Nathan begins to fall asleep and Mike reaches over and gooses him to try to wake him up. Mike ran off the road, overcorrected, and the truck came back on the road sideways and started flipping. Came to a stop, Mike reached down, unleashed his seatbelt, almost without a scratch on him. Um, looked for Nathan, couldn't find Nathan. Moved around and finally found Nathan in the road. And Nathan was hurt um, pretty badly. And he began to try to talk to Nathan and, 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 and cradle him in his arms as Nathan drew his last breaths. That moment was devastating to Mike. Mike was screaming and crying, but there was a cry louder than his cry. And that was the cry from the other car that he had struck when he started rolling. His truck started rolling and hit a car head on. And so he went over and found that car and, and, and looked in the back seat of the car and saw a young boy who was terribly hurt as well. And the boy is screaming from the pain. And in the front seat of the car were two, a grandparent, a grandma and a grandpa that were not screaming. They laid there lifeless. Mike was arrested and charged with DWI, DUI, um, and three counts of vehicular homicide that night. That night, he can tell the story <laughs> like I cannot tell it. But he was in his jail cell and the Holy Spirit of God showed up when he cried out to God and God saved him. He met Jesus in that moment, just him and bars and Jesus saved him. Guess what he got? Was he guilty? Yes. Was he a repeat offender? Yes. Was he going to jail in prison for a long time? Mercy and love said, you're forgiven. Justice said, you've got to go to court. And the judge is going to, and the jury is going to try this case. That took several years to happen. Um, Mike's first call was to me. And he called me and he said, bro, I've messed up bad. I says, where are you at? He says, I'm, I said, I'm at the church. He says, I'm headed that way. He came to the church and sat down and he told me about this encounter in his cell the night before. A crazy story of the Holy Spirit showing up and he describes the smell and he describes things that are really, really interesting. Um, and as I hear what happened and, and as I hear his heart, he met Jesus and he responded all those times people had shared the gospel with him over the years. He responded in that jail cell that night. God forgave him. The young boy um, was paralyzed from the waist down, is paralyzed from the waist down. And the young boy um, was a Christian. Mike wrote him a letter um, sometime after the accident and asked for forgiveness, he and the boy began to communicate and they met. And it took several years for the courts to get their stuff in order to try Mike. But finally there was a day where the courts called everybody in and the character witnesses and everybody was in that room. I thought I'd have to be his number one character witness. I had my script written out 
everything that I was going to say as his pastor and plead with them to not send him to prison for life because that's what they were wanting to do. From the time Mike was freed or the time Mike had the accident to the time he was tried was several years, over two years, less than three, I think. But in that time, he led countless people to Christ. The baptism waters were stirred almost on a weekly basis. Mike left that moment of forgiveness and took the gospel all over the community and passionately shared and saw great salvation. It's a blessing. It's a beautiful thing. But as the, as the court is calling witnesses, it was finally time for his number one character witness. And they called a boy. And it took the boy some time to make it to the front because he was paralyzed. And his number one character witness took that stand and swore an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And he said, please don't send my friend to prison for life. Please don't send my friend. Blows my mind how forgiveness turned a victim into a character witness. This is the work of the Lord. This is what God can only do if we let go. If you're not a Christian in this place, I would invite you as the band takes their place and as we close out this morning, I would invite you to confess your sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning, if you have never confessed your need for Jesus, if you're just coming to a realization that you need to transfer your trust to him, that you need to do like the song says, Jesus, take the will and get out from the driver's seat of your life and quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to make it happen and get out and say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I want you to take rightful place and get in the back seat and let God lead you. This is what it means to be a Christian and receive that forgiveness so you can take it and give it out. If that's you this morning, if you're online and you're watching or you're in the room, I would invite you right where you're at to make that place where you sit an altar. You can get down on your knees if you're able, or you can just simply sit there and respond. There's no posture that's any, that changes it. It's the posture of your heart and it's to transfer your trust to Jesus. Would you do that this morning? We wanna know about it if you do. And so if you're online, if you would, Email us at info at ghbc.org, info at ghbc.org. Let us know about your decision. We wanna come alongside you. Um, we wanna walk with you. We wanna see you discipled. We wanna see you be who God has called you to be and walk in that freedom and be a part of God's plan instead of opposed to God's plan. You do business with God as we sing out this morning. Um, as a matter of fact, if you'll stand with us, and however God is leading and directing you, you respond to the Lord this morning.